Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have it because you're a God who speaks, a God who wants to be known, and a God who makes himself known. Father, in the Lord's Supper, we've declared our faith and trust in you, uh, or we've taken the time to stop and think and reflect what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, Help us to keep doing that now as we look at your word. Help us to see the implications. By your spirit, please change us that we might live to your honour and glory in all things. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we've been working through these Beatitudes, one of the things we've kept seeing is they take uh, attitudes that we know and flip them on their head or flip the world's thinking on its head. Uh, So we like to think that we live in a world where good is rewarded. And evil is punished. And so if we took on board these characteristics of the Beatitudes, going, recognizing, yep, I am spiritually bankrupt. I mourn my sins. I humbly seek God's agenda as the meek. I hunger and thirst after righteousness. I show mercy to others. I set my heart in an undivided way to desire to see God. I seek peace with God as the ultimate end for my relationships and all other relationships. Uh, I think we easily get lulled into thinking when we live this way, we'll experience heaven on earth. That little heaven on earth bubble will engulf our world. And Jesus says, no. Jesus says, no. When you live this way, when you live as one of my disciples, bearing the character of myself and my father, what will come? Persecution. Persecution will burst that bubble. Uh, In 2017, you might remember the pictures on the television of Kurdish refugees fleeing north to Europe and all that discussion of where they were going in Europe. I saw some of them are still gathered under bridges in Paris when we were over there last year. As Syrian and Turkish forces purged them from their homelands. Jesus is saying here, there will be times when that sort of hatred will be let loose against the citizens of heaven by a sinful and rebellious world. Yet, In this persecution, the king's subjects, Jesus tells us, truly experience blessing. Does that sound bizarre? It's against all our worldly thinking, isn't it? That in persecution we'd find blessing. In persecution we we could rejoice and be glad. Uh, Jesus' words are startling. But will you stick with Jesus' words? Will you stick with me for the next uh, 20 minutes as we think seriously about what Jesus has to say and seriously about the Christian life? Let me start with uh, testimonies of rejoicing in persecution. Uh, If this is the first time you've heard this beatitude, you must be thinking, what wacko group have I walked into? Right, This beatitude so out there, Jesus repeats it. He says it twice. Just to make sure, to reinforce that, yes, that is exactly what I said. You will be persecuted. 
And if you trace through church history again and again, you find amazing testimonies of persecution leading believers into rejoicing and gladness. In Acts chapter 5, Peter and the apostles had been flogged by the Sanhedrin, the Jewish courts. And we read in Acts chapter 5, the apostles left the Sanhedrin, having been flogged, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. A Scottish pastor named Samuel Rutherford wrote from prison. He said, I never knew by my nine years of preaching so much of Christ's love as he has taught me in Aberdeen by six months imprisonment. His time in prison taught him so much more about the love of Christ than his nine years of preaching. He realized that Christ's cross The agenda of God to see peace made with sinners is at the very core of who we are as Christians. And then there was a a Romanian pastor in the 1950s and 60s. He was imprisoned and tortured mercilessly. And yet he testifies to the joy he experienced. He was locked in solitary confinement. He was beaten. He was tortured. Uh, They cut chunks of flesh from his body. They locked him in frozen ice boxes. They burned him. They starved him. Yet he testifies to times when the joy of Christ so overcame him that he would pull himself up and shuffle about his cell in a holy dance. Why? He maintained a hope and compassion that even for those who tortured him, He said, by looking at men, not as they are, but as they will be, I could also see in our persecutors a future Apostle Paul and the jailer in Philippian who became a convert. That agenda of God, the kingdom of heaven, is what brought him joy and enabled him to rejoice and be glad in amongst horrible persecution. Uh, These are amazing testimonies. Can I say, they did not, well, I haven't spoken to any of them, but I'm sure they did not enjoy persecution. They don't get joy and enjoy confused as necessarily the same thing. To suggest anyone should enjoy persecution uh, is more than a little twisted, I think. Jesus is not saying, enjoy persecution, lads. Jesus is not saying a persecution is is blessed or joyous. But Jesus is saying there is a kind of persecution that in it will testify to the blessing of God and that will result in joy as it takes us back to the cross, as it takes us back to Christ and ultimately lifts our eyes to the kingdom of heaven and where we are going. So who are the persecuted? Uh, the Beatitudes do not say blessed are the persecuted, full stop. Uh, sadly, some people think anytime they experience conflict, they're taking one for Jesus. The truth is many Christians are persecuted not for their Christianity, but for their lack of Christian character. Uh, some are rejected and persecuted because they have, frankly, unpleasing personalities. They're rude, they're insensitive, and they're thoughtless. 
Some are rejected because they're proud and judgmental. Others are disliked because they're lazy and irresponsible. Jesus did not say, blessed are the persecuted, full stop. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted. Why? Because of righteousness. You see it there? Because of righteousness. Because of rightly living with God, living rightly with God. Because of living out the character that's been described in these Beatitudes. The living right with God. Our world cannot tolerate righteous living. Doesn't know how to cope with life defined and shaped by a personal relationship with God our Creator through the Lord Jesus Christ. I was talking with someone this morning who just had the most ridiculous comments said to them during the week. Because the person speaking it doesn't have a relationship with Christ, doesn't know the hope that we have of the kingdom of heaven. And so they try to put something, try to make sense of a horrible situation and it just comes out as ludicrous and ridiculous. And our dear friend, in their godliness, didn't slap them in the face, which is what the world would have done. See, these Beatitudes and the character of Christ flips the world's values on its head. So have a look back down there from verse 3, right? Poverty of spirit. It flips the pride of the unbelieving heart. Our world admires the self-sufficient, not the poor in spirit. Second, the mourning, the, the repentant heart. Those that sorrow over their sin and the sins of the world, that's not appreciated by the world. Just pull up your socks, do better, achieve. Third, the gentle and meek person, the one who has the strength and humility to put their own personal agenda aside and pursue God's agenda. They're seen as as weak and loonies by those who don't know Christ. And then Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for, for the spiritual, for Christ, for the ways of God. That's ridiculous. Even repulsive in some areas, particularly in ethical and moral things. Because our world lusts after what I can touch and what I can taste and the pleasure I can get now. Jesus talks about the merciful. the, The one who not only feels compassion but acts. The one who not only feels compassion and acts but forgives. The one who not only forgives, but gives to those who hurt them. That's out of step, totally with our grudge-bearing, hard-hearted, callous world. So the merciful person is an awkward, embarrassing rebuke to the uncaring of the world. And then we talk about the pure in heart. Those with a single-minded heart focused on God. They provide a convicting contrast to our impure, self-absorbed, self-focused culture. And the peacemakers, they are uncomfortable to be around, aren't they? Those who draw attention to the world to come, the kingdom of heaven. Those who draw attention to the God who made us, the one who holds us to account. The ones who draw attention to the judgment that the world and each individual faces. 
See, the, the reason the blessed will be persecuted is that they've taken on the character of Christ. Is that he or she is like Christ. That's Jesus' point when he says it a second time in verses 11 and 12, and he completes the verse with, blessed are those who are persecuted, blessed are you when you're persecuted because of me. Because of righteousness, then because of me. Living rightly with God is to live emulating the character of Jesus. And everyone who lives like Jesus will be persecuted. Have a look at these words in John chapter 15. They're on the screen there. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed me, obeyed my teaching, sorry, they will obey yours also. Jesus is saying, they stood against me, and they will insult you, they will persecute you, and they will say all kinds of evil against you, just as they did me. Apostle Paul says, the truth is that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. No exceptions. Live a godly life, expect persecution. To the Christians in Antioch, Paul said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will talk about following him is uh, not the big freeway, not the big motorway, but the narrow way. So sorry if you're a church looking for a nice philosophical framework for a happy, positive, quiet life in order to pass on the glory of your achievements and your lifestyle to your children, the safety and success that you're achieving. You are in the wrong place. Tom's is a place where the priority is living rightly with God. And as we do that, that makes us a subject persecution. Which means, as Toms, we should be surprised, we should be surprised when we're not being persecuted. Now, I say that with caution. Uh, Don't condemn yourself or us because you or we are not currently being persecuted. No one is persecuted all the time. I say we should be surprised when we're not persecuted with caution because I don't want us to imagine persecution in overly dramatic terms, because most of the persecution is rather mundane and quite civilised. See, the, the persecuted are those living, bearing, emulating, imitating the character of Jesus. And the world will harass those who show the character of Jesus. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. The nature of persecution can go to physical extremes, but most of it is verbal harassment. 
Sometimes thrown in your face. Sometimes it's whispered around the corridors. Sometimes it's innuendo. But don't be mistaken, that verbal abuse and being cut off socially may call for just as much heroism as being thrown to the lions. The conscientious worker who's given 20 years of faithful service but has been repeatedly passed over because those higher up the food chain are uncomfortable with their ethics, with their moral principles. Or the student who's systematically excluded from conversations because they don't rubber stamp all that is said. Or the person who's considered dull by the neighbours or colleagues because they don't delight in their gossip and their sniping. Sometimes those can be harder to take than physical violence. They're difficult things to face and difficult things to go through. Do you know what? I think the tragedy in Sydney and amongst uh, a lot of us who are Sydney Anglicans is not that they are our regular experiences. The tragedy is that they rarely are our experiences. The one, one reason is many Christians are cut off from the world. Many Christians go to church and hang with Christians, attend Bible studies and hang with Christians, exercise with believers, garden with churchgoers and play golf with believers. And so we, our lives are sealed off from persecution because we're hanging out with one another all the time. Don't worry, I've got a nice hole in my chest, by the way, from pointing at myself during the week going, listen to this. Others keep their Christianity secret. So as not to make ways with non-Christians. So I think part of all of that coming around, one of the great, it ends up in this, that we as Christians have largely been silenced by the pressure from the world. And our lives have been shaped and conformed by the world. So that we approve the world's morals and ethics. At least outwardly we do. Have a think about the relationships you cheer for on TV. We maintain lifestyles like the world lives. We laugh at the world's humour and we share it around. We flood ourselves with the world's entertainment. We smile non-threateningly when God is mocked. We downplay hell or judgment. And we're happy for people to choose their own religious path as if all paths converge at the end, at the one place. Above all, uh, we don't speak and share our faith. and We don't speak of Christ. And I think the tragedy is that hidden Christianity is a sign of a major blocked artery. I actually say a major blocked beatitude artery. We'll get to it. Every week at staff meeting we've been reading through the Beatitudes and been asking each other, what's been challenging you? Where are you being pushed? And we've been reading it each week in our services for the last four weeks. And I, it's been like, well, you know how you've got to go and have those blood tests every year to make sure everything's working and they take vials and vials of blood and test through everything? It's felt like the Beatitudes are doing that. 
and making me look and go, where's the blockage? Where's the problem? See, I look at, get to the end and go, I don't think I'm persecuted very often. Yet the build-up as Jesus goes through these Beatitudes brings me to think I ought to be being persecuted if I'm living out the character of Christ. As I take a serious look back through those Beatitudes, for me, I think at the end of the day, the biggest blockage in my understanding and my Christ-like character is right back at the start. He's poor in spirit. You know, I've always thought of myself as a good boy. I've always been able to hold my own in whatever situation I've been put in, whether it's a social situation, whether it's an academic situation, whether it's a sporting situation, whether it's a practical situation. And so at heart, there's an arrogance in me that my art teacher was right about when she used to make me write lines and get the dictionary out and write the meaning of arrogant for my lines, that I think I'm good enough. And so I don't mourn my sin like I ought or mourn the sin of the world like I ought. And so my agenda, though it is God's agenda, it's not heartily pursued because I think, Deep down, I think they should turn to Christ like I turn to Christ. See, God, in his mercy, when I heard the gospel, I turned to Christ really quickly and really easily. And so my rational brain, my good boy brain, my smart, logical brain wants to go, well, other people should be like that. And if they don't get it, well, I'll leave them to it. And so I don't hunger and thirst after righteousness as I ought, because deep down there's a thing going, nah, I'm good. The merciful I struggle with, I think I'm actually, I think, you might want to tell me I'm wrong, I don't think I'm too bad at being merciful to people. But I think deep down, I don't pursue mercy. Because once again, if you want to be an idiot, go and be an idiot. So I don't really have God's agenda driving things. My heart isn't as pure. I don't see God as clearly as I, as I think I do. And I'm stuck back there with that pouring spirit as the issue. And so I love to help people come to be at peace with, with Christ, to be at peace with God. But again... It's slowed. My passion for that is slowed and I think the, the big blockage is back there at the core in spirit in my understanding of myself. See, the church ought to be being persecuted if we're taking on and living out the character of Christ. It will impact our profile in the community. It will impact the way... We make a living. It will impact the way we get along at school and in the workplace. One of the most confronting little things I read during the week 
in sort of the first hundred years after Jesus preached this sermon, uh, a business guy came up to one of the leaders of the church and uh, he, he was having a problem because his business interests and his faith, his Christianity, conflicted. Uh, and he said, what must I do? I must live. Right, I've got to keep the business going because I've got to live. And the, the church leader said, must you? just found it as a real pointed question. Is Christ, is the character of Christ, the character of God, the must in our life? If it's not, don't be afraid. I'm glad that you can say it. But have a look back through these Beatitudes. I suspect you're like me, needing a stent put in your Beatitude arteries. There's a blockage there somewhere. We're not perfect. We're never going to be perfect until we're transformed into the image of Christ in heaven. But we pursue Christ and pursue his agenda. The last little bit is the joy of persecution. You know, verse 11 and 12 really do bring the Beatitudes to our front door. Blessed are you. As you live as heavenly citizens in an alien world, you will be insulted, persecuted, and falsely accused. We can expect accusations and provocation from the world because of the master we follow. We don't hide away in a ghetto. We don't give up in despair. We're to rejoice and be glad. Not because we like pain, not because we want to deliberately put ourselves through pain. But it's because of Christ and what he's done for us. It's God and the heaven that is reserved for us. It is our new identity as children of God. It's that hope of seeing God and being with God and like God. See, the joy is the future reward. The future reward assured through Christ and his death. And as we're persecuted, it's a mark that we are living rightly with God. It's always been that way. And so Jesus finishes with mentioning the the prophets of the Old Testament. They They were the ones who brought God's news to the people. And they were persecuted. Jesus brought good news to all the world. He brought that news to its fulfillment. He was persecuted and put to death. And we Christians are the people bringing this news to the people of our day. Should we expect anything different? No. We should expect the rejection and the persecution of our world in our day. Brothers and sisters, if you're being persecuted because of righteousness, if you're being persecuted because of Christ, I'll leave you with these words of the Apostle Paul. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Fight the good fight. Keep the faith. For there is in store for you the crown of righteousness 
which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to you on that day. And not only to you, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Praise God. 